Good morning, everybody. Good. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I just want to take a moment. I never, never really do this, but I, I feel like I'll be disobedient if I don't. Um, I just want to pray for you this morning. If there's anyone that has a specific need or, or you just feel like you want to encounter God or experience God's presence this morning, I, I want to pray for you. Um, and while I was worshiping, sir, I just glanced over at you, and, and in a moment, I just felt overwhelmed with God's presence. And then just two thoughts I wanna, wanna leave with you. The first one is God knows. And the second one is, it was for freedom that Christ has set you free. Can I pray? Is that okay? So if there's anyone here right now, and you just want God to do something special in your life, just quickly put your hand up and down for me. I just wanna see if there's anyone. Thank you, lots, lots of people. Thank you. Lord, I just wanna give every single hand to you, um, every single person that just put their hands up to you right now. You know exactly the reason they raised their hand. You know exactly what their needs are. You know exactly the emotional space they're in. And my prayer is that right now in this moment, that they would be completely overwhelmed by your presence and your peace and your love and your joy. May they know in this moment that you've got this. And you know, and it was for freedom that Christ has set them free. So, Lord, this morning I give them to you. I pray that you would bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome if you're joining us online. Um, if you're watching this for the first time today, we're in a series called This Is Us. And um, when we say this is us, we're talking about this is us, the church, and um, who we are and who we should be as the church. And, um, and in the first week we started the series, John Ben, who's the senior pastor of this church, spoke about sort of the, the doctrine of the church and who the church, according to Scripture, is and who it should be even today. Fantastic message. Please go listen to that. And then in the second week, Richard Erasmus spoke about a holy discontent. He used this example of Popeye. Remember Popeye cartoon, he said, I can't stand it, and I can't stand it anymore. And there's this feeling like we look at church, and there potentially might be things missing or lacking, and every single one of us should have a holy discontent when it comes to these things. And he gave us a list of how the church should be functioning and where we may potentially be lacking. And then last week, Debbie spoke about small groups. So essentially, she spoke about transformation in how we believe that small groups are probably the best vehicle to drive transformation, especially in the season that we're in. Transformation is our vision. When we speak transformation, we want the individuals to be transformed, we want the church to be transformed, and we want the world to be transformed. And you may be asking, transformed into what? Transformed into the image of Christ. Our vision is to see the world, every single person we come in contact with, be transformed into the image of Christ. Today we're gonna, have a, we're gonna be having a follow-up a message from there, and that we believe there's four major things that every believer should be doing to drive transformation or to see transformation happening in your own life as well as in the church's life as well as the world. And then today I'm gonna be touching on two of those. Then next week we're gonna catch up and wrap up that part of the series um, next week. So please keep your eyes and ears open to not miss that one. Um, the Bible is full of transformation especially the New Testament. There's a ton of stories um, where Jesus transformed people's lives. And I wanna quickly share a few of those stories with you. So, so you may remember a guy named Saul. He was a religious fanatic. So he was a Jewish leader. And this guy, with absolute passion and zeal, persecuted the Christian church. Unto death, one passage 
in Acts says. So this guy was killing Christians for believing in Jesus. But he was a religious fanatic. I mean, he thought he was doing the right things. Until one day, he met Jesus. And everything changed for him in that moment. He, he literally turned from persecuting the church, directly opposite direction, to preaching the gospel of the message and reaching as many people as possible for Jesus. Complete and utter transformation in the moment. Another one of my favorite stories from the New Testament is about a, a guy named Zacchaeus. He was a tax collector. There's actually two tax collectors I want to tell you about. But Zacchaeus is the first one. Apparently, he was a short guy. So I would know nothing about being short. I'm quite tall if you're watching online, by the way. It looks like I'm short, but I'm not. He's a short guy. Jesus showed up and he was preaching. Obviously, he drew crowds of people. And Zacchaeus couldn't see what was happening, but he was so intrigued by Jesus that he climbed up onto a tree or into a tree. And Jesus saw him, and he said, Zacchaeus, come down, for today salvation has come to you and your family. And he was instantaneously transformed by the power of Jesus, the presence of Jesus in his life, instantaneously. So much so that he paid back all the money he had stolen. So just quick, tax collectors were hated by people because they, they collected tax, but they also stole from people. They, they took more tax than they were meant to. So, so people genuinely hated these guys. So Zacchaeus then meets Jesus, pays back everything he took from them and more, instantaneously transformed because of Jesus in his life. Another tax collector named Matthew. So Matthew was literally in a tax booth. In the act of sinning, Jesus approaches him and says, follow me. Matthew decides to follow Jesus. But what's interesting for me about the story of Matthew is there wasn't any clear evidence that he was instantaneously transformed. Right after Jesus says, follow me, he hosts this house party, right, and invites all of his friends. So he had just become a Christian, and his friends at this stage were not Christians. <laughs> so this wasn't a tea and biscuit kind of party, I don't imagine. So he has this house party. He invites Jesus to this house party so that his friends can meet and encounter Jesus as well. But once again, absolutely transformed. He became one of Jesus' disciples. And I want to tell you, quick story about myself. So when I was in high school, um, my friends and I lived for fun. I mean, the purpose of life, there's no other purpose at this stage. The purpose of life is to have as much fun as possible. So going to school, the purpose of every lesson was to have as much fun as possible. Breaks was about as much fun as possible. After school, parties, everything was about fun. In fact, secondary to fun was learning for me in school and my friends. So one night we go visit one of my friends at his house, the first time I've been to his house, and um, we basically go to his parents and say, uh, parents, we have a request. Uh, both of us are 16, as you know, we're definitely underage. We want to go to a club, and we want to drink as much alcohol as we possibly can. Can we go? We didn't really say that. We just told them we want to go to a club. And they agreed. They said, yes, you can go. I was like, oh, this looks like fun. Then they said, well, we'll take you, we'll drop you off, but you have to find your own way home. <laughs> we were like, no, no, that's easy, we can find homes. So that was before Uber. So they drop us off at this club, and, and that's where this train wreck of a night started. So my friend and I goes there, we didn't have, uh, went there, we didn't have any friends that we actually invited to this event, but we met up with some guys that we knew, which was great. Then it was just a train wreck downhill from there. We had way too much alcohol. We picked fights with people all over the place. And eventually, at the end of the evening, we realized we needed to get home. And uh, we said to this guy's parents that we, we've got a way, we've got a plan. 
And we basically said, we, we're gonna walk home. There's no other way we, we can do this. But then we spoke to one of our friends and he was in the exact same state of mind as we were. And he reckons he's got a car there. And he said, well, I'll give you a lift. We were like, fantastic. So we get into this car with this drunk driver, two other friends of his we'd never met before, and my best friend and I are sitting in the back. And my friend turns to me and he says, hey, Jacques, this guy on my left looked at me funny. I reckon I'm gonna fight him. I'm like, dude, you're not gonna fight him. Andre is giving us a lift. You're not gonna fight him. He says, no, I'm definitely gonna fight him. In fact, then he pulls out a knife from his pocket. I'm like, dude, why do you have a knife? He says, no, no, I think I'm not gonna fight. I'm gonna destroy this guy, he says. Eventually, in a moment, all of us realize this is getting heated really quickly. We managed to talk him out of it. Everything was calm, and we get dropped off outside my friend's house. So we go to the door. We ring the bell. They don't open for us. And we knock on the door. They don't open. At the gate outside, we jump over the wall to get into the property. And my mate says, look, um, let's go knock on the door. They didn't open again. He says, why don't we go around to the back of the house, knock on the, the bedroom window. Maybe we can wake up my parents. So we go around, knock on the window, and nothing. My friend says, why don't we just take a nap here till tomorrow morning, then we can see what happens. So we literally lie down underneath this window under the veranda and we sleep there. The next morning I wake up, I turn to my friend and this guy's gone. And then I look up in front of me and there's a man standing over me with a pitchfork saying to me, what are you doing here? You're trespassing. And I said, no, no, I'm not trespassing. This is Andre's house, I said. He says, no, this is not Andre's house. I know the owners of this property. Andre is not one of them. So I quickly got up, ran away, jumped over the wall. And as I got outside the gate, I quickly realized where I was. I got my bearings and I spotted my friend's house just a few houses down. So I run over to his house, ring the bell. He opens for me. And I say, dude, where were you? What happened? He says, well, it looked like you were having a good sleep. Didn't want to wake me because I was enjoying my nap, he says. And then he offers me breakfast which was an ecstasy tablet that morning, which I declined, by the way. What I realized in that moment, that I was building an interior empire on foundations of sand and was destined to crumble. I realized that I was building my life on foundations of the kingdom of this world. Didn't scare me off at that stage, but I realized it was something I was very aware of. I was carving out a lifestyle for me here that was potentially gonna take me into my future. And then shortly after that, I met Jesus in my bedroom one night and I became a Christian. And I was absolutely transformed by the power of the gospel. It was literally as if Jesus plucked me out of hell in that moment. When I say hell, when we read the Bible, in the English version, we read the word hell, but there's actually four or five different other words that's used in the original language. For example, sheol, which is translated into grave, Old Testament word. The New Testament, you might read the word Hades, which is sort of the Greek version of sheol. You might remember when Jesus told the story about the rich man and Lazarus. Lazarus was a poor man. He begged. Um, he asked the rich man to help him. Rich man declined. Jesus says both of them died. One went to paradise, there was a chasm, other one went to Hades, and apparently they could communicate with each other in Hades. The rich man then said, look, can I go back to tell my family about this place? And Abraham said, no, can't go back. They've got Moses and the law, so they need to repent and turn to God. Hades, 
Another word we read in the Old Testament or in the Bible is a word called Tartarus. We read the word hell. The original word is Tartarus. Now, Tartarus is only found once in the New Testament in the book of Peter, 1 Peter. I think it's chapter 2. And this is a place where, where fallen angels are kept until judgment day. And then we also read a word called Gehenna. Now, Gehenna, we read the word hell, but Jesus used the word Gehenna 11 times. Now, when I say I was plucked out of hell, definitely all eternity without a doubt, but I'm talking specifically, I was plucked out of Gehenna. Gehenna was a place outside, a literal place, a physical location outside of Jerusalem. In the Old Testament, one king would, would sacrifice babies there by burning them in fire. Gehenna. They stopped the practice of sacrificing babies and burning them in fire. Then they turned it into town dump. All the town's rubbish would go there and would also be constantly burning. And often when Jesus spoke about hell, specifically when he uses that word, he was talking about the hell we create for ourselves here on earth. Remember, I'm not even talking about after, after life, after death yet. I'm talking about while we're here on earth. And in that moment when I gave my life to Jesus, not only did I receive eternal life, eternity with God, but he also literally plucked me out of the hell I was building for myself here on earth, instantaneously. I, read a, I watched a documentary the other day about a Springbok rugby team and the 2019 World Cup. And one of the coaches spoke about how every great sportsman has a superior discontent. And he says every great sportsman, their superior discontent is that they have this thing in them that they don't want to lose. They will never give up. And in week two, Rich spoke about a holy discontent. And I discovered while I was preparing this message that I actually have a superior sort of holy discontent. And it's this. The lack of evangelism in the worldwide church is a, is a superior discontent for me. It breaks my heart that our young people are waking up with a pitchfork over them because they have not yet met Jesus Christ. And Westville alone, there are thousands of them who don't know Jesus. They might have a similar story to mine. It breaks my heart and it should bother both me and you that our families are being destroyed because they're in the heart of Gehenna right now because they're not building their lives on the kingdom of God, but it's built on the foundations of sand that's destined to crumble. They're building their lives on the kingdom of this world. It should break all of our hearts that they haven't heard this message of Jesus that can transform them completely. It should break our hearts that our old people are dying. They may be completely separated from, from God for all eternity because no one has preached the gospel to them yet. And it's for that reason that I have the superior discontent, not because it's superior to all the other discontents, but for me personally, this is the biggie. It's so big for me because I ask myself this question. What would my story have been if I never met Jesus after that pitchfork incident? Where would I have been now if I hadn't met Jesus in that moment? Would I have been dead, maybe? Maybe in prison, or but maybe perfectly fine. Who knows? But because of Jesus, my life was absolutely flipped upside down. Because of Luke 15, verse 1, this is, this is my life motto, my ministry motto. I live for this passage, or at least the principles contained in this passage. Luke 15, verse 1 says this. Now the tax collectors, 
and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. Let's pause there real quick. I love how they separate the tax collectors and sinners because both of those are sinners. It's as if the tax collectors were like super sinners. The super sinners were there. The regular sinners were there. And they were all there to hear Jesus. Verse two. But the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. How dare he? How dare Jesus welcome sinners and eat with them? Well, someone found it in their heart to reach out to me with a message of Jesus when I was in high school. They dared to reach out to a sinner and told me about Jesus and I got saved. I became a Christian. How dare they <laughs> welcome sinner like me and eat with me? I wonder if this should be all of our life mottos. That every single one of us should have this superior discontent when we look at the world around us and we say, we should welcome sinners and we should eat with them because we are the church. How dare this man named Jesus welcome sinner, sinners and eat with them? The religious leaders muttered. Why should we reach? Why should we reach? Why should we evangelize? Well, very simply, people are perishing. People are dying without Christ. They're currently in Gehenna, and they will be separated from Christ for all eternity one day. People are perishing. We need to get the gospel to them. Second thing, why should we preach? Well, the world needs to be transformed. The world needs to be transformed. When a community discovers Christ, communities get transformed. They, be, they get turned into the image of Christ. We look around and we, we, we see the frustrations of what's happening in our country. And we have things to say about it. But the church as a whole needs to reach out and reach those communities so that they can be transformed. The world needs to be transformed. Lastly, why should we reach? Very simply put, because Jesus said we should. Matthew 28, 19 says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them everything I have commanded you. And know I'm with you all the days till the end of the earth. I'm with you while you do this. You're not alone, so do it. Mark 16, verse 15. Preach the gospel to in all the world. Preach the gospel in all the world. That means literally all the world. To white people to black people, to every race. There's no racism in heaven. Preach the gospel to all the world. Acts 1 verse 8. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witness in all the world. So let's start witnessing if you're not doing it already. So there was this moment where I met Jesus and, and instantly in my heart, I, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Repented. The word repent means, it's a very churchy word. The word repent means to, to literally turn in the opposite direction, 180 degrees, to turn your back on something. And in that moment when I met Jesus, I turned my back on the kingdom of this world. Turned my life towards the kingdom of heaven directly aimed at Jesus. So I was saved and instantaneously I was justified. When God saves you, when Jesus saves you, you are justified. When God looks at you, it's, it's just if I'd never sinned. That's what justified means. Just if I'd never sinned. That happens instantaneously. 
But the sanctification for me was not instant like it was for Paul and maybe even Zacchaeus. It might have been more like Matthew. Looks like Matthew had a bit more of a journey. Sanctification means as the process of becoming more like Christ. Let me just say, to this day, I'm not yet looking like Christ, especially if I'm driving. I apologize in advance if I hooted you while I'm driving. I'm not yet properly sanctified in this area. But the sanctification process was exactly that. It was a process for me. And in preparation for this message, I remembered um, the, the, the serve, right? We, we talk about seeing the world transformed. I know that when people individually start serving, something happens within them. They discover their purpose. They discover God's call in their life. And they, as individuals, get transformed. They become more Christ-like. And that's something that happened for me. I quickly want to read this verse to you. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. Very short verse. The Spirit has given each of us a special way of serving others. Every single one of us here, according to Scripture, has received a, a spiritual gift. And God has given each of us a special way to serve others. Now, for the last few years, I've been leaning really hard into helping people find at least their spiritual gifts. And if we can help people find their spiritual gifts, we could hopefully help them find their calling, right? My desire is that every congregant in the whole world would find their calling, their God-given calling, and live that. So I've been leaning in trying to help people find not only their gifts, but also their calling. And I had two major reasons for that. The first one is that I believe if someone can find their calling, they would live a life that's full and complete and full of uh, transformation, significance. I look at myself, thinking of where I was and where I am now. The work I do is 100% a passion for me. I love every moment of what I do. We just had a party on, on, for, my, for my son Levi. He turned four on Saturday. And I couldn't wait to connect with as many parents as possible to tell them that I'm a pastor, come to our church, even if it's just online. And also, if you're watching online, how's it? Nice to meet you on Saturday. But everything inside of me makes me want to lean into this thing because I have this superior discontent. We need to reach people for Jesus. And I'm fulfilled because of that. So that was one reason. Find your purpose and you will live a fulfilled life. Whether you have money, don't have money. Whether you're rich or poor, it doesn't matter. Fulfilled life if you know your purpose. Second thing for me was like, if we could help the body of Christ function in a healthy way, like if the fingers actually do what fingers should do, right? The hand does what the hand should do in the arm, I mean the whole body functions properly, then we will see God's kingdom expanded. So those are my two major reasons. You will be, you'll live a fulfilled life and you will see God's kingdom expanded. Exciting stuff. But in preparation for this message, I discovered a third reason why I think every single one of us should serve, should serve. And when I say serve, I'm not only talking about um, things we do here for an hour on a Sunday. I'm talking about serving in your capacity and your calling wherever you are, should be serving. The third reason is this. Um, I, love, I love every sort of restoration show I could get my hands on. Like if I see someone transforming a broken up chair and, and, and restoring it to something new, I love it, right? So there's a show on, on Netflix called Car Masters, Rust to Riches. So what these guys do is they go literally across the country and they find cars that are bust up and rusted. And then they bring it back to this workshop so they go, they go out, they bring it back to this workshop, and then they, they let the team do its thing. Then there's a bunch of people at, in, in the workshop who, one girl is the mechanic, for example, and she just specializes in engines. 
and she goes and does her thing and she restores this engine completely. Then there's guys who do the interior of the car. Some of them do the body work and panel beating and they prep it for the people who do the spray painting. And then after they've collected this car from the ends of the earth, they've brought it to this workshop, sort of like the church, and all of the team members, every congregant, lives out their calling. The car was transformed. I was that rusted car. I was brought into this workshop after I met Jesus, and people like you purely lived out their calling, and I was transformed as a result of your calling. Remember the first time I went to a life group? Oh, Lord. Get emotional every time. So frustrating. <laughs> first time I went to a life group, there was no life group at our youth. So I had to go to an adult life group. And I remember encountering so much love. I mean, I knew love. My, my parents loved me, my family, family loved me. But something happened when I stepped into this person's house. The gift of hospitality kicked in. So I walk into this house and all of a sudden, I feel like Jesus is loving me because one person had the gift of hospitality. Then eventually they got together and some guy had a guitar and he started leading me, leading us in worship. And this musical gift of his, I just started sobbing. <laughs> I feel like I'm crying all the time. And I just started sobbing as I engaged with God. And then some, at some stage, one person with the gift of teaching started teaching from Scripture and was, unable, and was able to unpack a verse in a way that I could understand it. And I started getting transformed. Then at the end of the evening, we all gathered around in a, in a circle and, and Dave put his hand on my shoulder and he just prayed for me. But I remember the warmth of that hand touching me on my shoulder. I, remember the, I can't remember what he prayed, all I knew is while he prayed, the spiritual gift of intercession kicked in and something changed inside of me, but the body of Christ functioned as it should. And this rust, rusted, beat it up car walks into the space, into this workshop, and slowly but surely, it started, God started doing work inside of me and through me because of this group of believers. We should be serving. How do we serve? We need to serve God above all else. We should never, ever step into service with the hope that you'll get recognition from man. Never, ever do that. When you serve, serve like Paul did. Paul says in the book of Romans, he says, I serve God in my spirit by preaching the gospel. He says, I serve God with my purpose. My purpose is to preach, and I serve him in my spirit by doing that. But his primary focus is serving God first. So serve God like Paul did. Secondly, serve his people. Service people. The picture that comes to mind when I see the church serving his people, you and me serving his people, is that picture where Jesus washed the disciples' feet. That for me is the perfect picture of how you and I should serve his church. It happens here at church, without a doubt. But we only get an hour a week to do that. It happens at life group. We should do that at life group as well. But wherever we find God's people, we should serve them. And lastly, we need to serve the world. We need to serve the world. We spend most of our time at work we're surrounded by people who are far from Christ. And I reckon the best way we could serve them is according to Matthew 5, verse 16, and it says this. Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. This passage is so powerful. It says when we live like Jesus, your friends at work who don't live like Jesus will worship God as a result of your behavior. 
So let's serve Jesus, or let's serve the world by doing what Matthew 5 verse 16 says. Shine your light. Shine your light. I'm going to wrap this message up. I'm going to ask the band to come forward. There's two things. What's clear, what I want to make clear from, from my introduction is that this world is broken and hurting and it's lost. We need to reach them with the gospel. We need to reach them. It's not optional. You got the instruction from Jesus, now let's do it. And then we need to serve them. Because while we serve them, we will be transformed. But not only will we be transformed, those rusted, wrecked cars will be transformed in this workshop we call the church. When every single one of us steps up and serves in our capacity and lives out our calling. I wanna pray for every single one of you who's here right now, also if you're watching online, I wanna give you an opportunity today to give your life to Jesus. If you want God to pluck you out of hell, you need to choose Jesus. And why wait, why don't you do it right now? So I wanna pray for you. If you're sitting here in this building today and you wanna give your life to Jesus, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to do that. I ask you to put your hand up in a little bit, or if you're sitting and watching at home and you want to give your life to Jesus, please do that. There's no right way of giving your life to Jesus. Putting your hand up is not the act of salvation. That really just helps us to see that there's people who we need to reach out to. But if you are watching at home and we can't see your hand as you lift it, won't you please consider emailing us at the church office so one of us can connect with you and connect you to the right people. We want you to keep growing after you meet Jesus. But if you want to surrender your life to Jesus right now, we're going to do that. So won't everybody quickly close their eyes. If you're sitting here today and the Holy Spirit has been tugging at your heart, the Holy Spirit has been telling you, you need to surrender your life to Jesus. You're in Gehenna. You need to be plucked out of hell. The only way to do that is through Jesus. Please choose Jesus now. And if that's you, Won't you quickly put your hand up for me so I can pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. More hands going up. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else who wants to put their hand up before I pray? No pressure. Thank you. I'm gonna ask the whole church family to pray with me. Um, If you just put your hand up, we're gonna pray a prayer now out loud. Um, But I'm going to ask the whole church family to do this with me. We're going to help those guys who just gave their life to Jesus. And um, just so you know, everyone else who didn't put their hands up might have already given their life to Jesus. And we've already prayed that prayer. And you've just made the most awesome decision you're ever going to make in your life. Ever in your life. So let's pray. Pray this prayer with me. Say, Father in heaven, thank you for loving me. Thank you for giving your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. Jesus, thank you for laying down your life for me. Thank you that your blood was spilt and has cleansed me from all of my sin. Father God, I repent. I turn away from the kingdom of this world towards Jesus and your kingdom. I choose to live according to your will. Holy Spirit, please fill me and guide me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Awesome stuff.
Very well signed stuff. Yeah, I think we should give uh, those guys who just gave their lives to Jesus a hand. Yeah. This moment, this moment is marked in heaven. Your name is written in God's book of life. And you will spend all eternity with Jesus. So that decision you just made, please follow up on this. Don't just leave it here. Come connect with me. I'm going to be around after the service. If you want to know what to do next, where to plug in next. And, um, and we have this tradition we want people who gave their lives to Jesus as a symbol to, to screw in a light bulb. If you exit the building, there's a, a giant board that says alive. And uh, we want you to screw in your life light bulb there because you're saying, I'm now alive in Jesus and I will let my light so shine before men that they glorify my Father in heaven. So if you want to do that as well, I'm going to be around after the service. I would love to connect with you. And I'm going to hand over to Janice. Let's worship this creator and savior of the world.